Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are on our second week of a new series called Being the Church. Um, as I said earlier, we're not just about going to church and sitting in the pews. We want to be the church. That's what God's called us to be. The church is this word, this Greek word, ekklesia, which just means the ones that God has called out for his purposes. It's the ones that represent God, that represent Jesus in the world. And so we want to talk about what it means to be the church. But we'll find that as we do that, the church is actually kind of a broken place. It's every week that we see a new headline of a, of a Christian leader or a church that has failed in some way. And um, the tendency we could have would just be to ignore that and pretend like that's not true, but it is true. Uh, the church is really broken. And so we want to also reveal the real as we're talking about what it means to be the church but then I find that sometimes the pain and hurt in the church can lead people um, to make a decision about the church without actually ever examining what the church is really about, like going back to the roots of the church. So even as we reveal the real, we are going to renew the roots of what God is calling us to be as his people. And today we're going to look at the church is a people for worship. The church is a people for Worship. Last week we looked at the church being a people. This week the church is a people for worship. And if you were here last week, we were in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're actually going to go right back to that same passage. There's so much in there that we can spend two whole weeks on it. And I'm going to read 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12 right now. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, that's Jesus, as you come to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. This is the word of God. Amen. 
What a time it is to be a Liverpool fan. If you follow me on social media, you know that I love Liverpool Soccer Club. Some of you do, some of you want to boo right now, but let me, let me just hear me out. It's a wonderful time to be a Liverpool fan. In fact, this caption, I just love it. At the very bottom left, it says, what a time to be a Liverpool fan. These are the days. Now, some of you don't like soccer. Some of you don't like sports, but hear, hear me out on this, okay? I've been a fan for 16 years of Liverpool Football Club. And for 10 of those years, we were like okay to good. We won a couple trophies, but never any dominance. We were always kind of like good one year and then okay the next year. But the last five years, there has been a growing momentum. Like we started to win some stuff and then win some more stuff. And then like this is the year where we could win a lot of stuff. Uh, we actually have the potential to win four trophies this year, actually three of them in like the next month. And what really changed it for us was uh, this guy on my right here, on your right, Jurgen Klopp, that's our coach. He came to Liverpool uh, five years ago. And what's amazing is that we have the opportunity to win the Premier League. We have the opportunity to win the Champions League and the FA Cup. And I know no one cares what that is, but I do. <laughs> I care what that is, okay? And um, Jurgen Klopp's contract was winding down. Like, he only had two more years left. And that made us all a little bit uneasy because we just love him so much. He's a great coach. And his wife, in the past week, came to him and said, Jurgen, I don't see us leaving Liverpool in the next two years. Like, we love these people here. Let's sign a contract extension. And so this week, we got the surprise news that Jurgen Klopp was going to extend his contract another two years which means he's there four more years. And so they're talking about building a statue for his wife, you know, because she's amazing that she convinced him to stay. But it's just, it's, it's incredible. Like, um, not only that, but our, our best player just won the footballer of the year. So here we are on the verge of possibly four trophies. Jurgen has just signed a contract extension. Our best player is like the best player. What a time to be a Liverpool fan. There's a little bit of dread in my heart though. Uh, there's a little bit of dread in my heart because we haven't won those other three trophies yet. And there was a little hesitancy for me to come up and even say anything because you know you don't wanna say anything and like make it bad. Um, and so there's a little bit of dread in my heart that we might not win the FA Cup or we might not win the Premier League or we might not lead the champion, win the Champions League. And if that happens, I'm probably gonna have to take a little bit of time off for morning. Uh, not only that, you all might need to send me some care packages and I will ask you not to judge me if I break down in tears. There's a little bit of dread in my heart that Liverpool might not grasp these things that we're reaching for. And I realize you all think it's silly, and it is, and that's kind of the point. Um, you know, football in most of the world, it's not just football, it's like religion. And so when we talk about these things, it almost sounds like worship. Like the fans sing songs about all the players and how great all the players are. And it's really not that surprising when you start to think about our own hearts because each of us is really wired for worship. There is something in our heart that, um, as John Piper says, 
It's like we are a microscope. Now a microscope is something that looks at something small, but makes it much bigger than it really is. And even as I talk about Liverpool, you, you kind of go, yeah, that's what you're doing. It's not that big of a deal. But there's something in my heart and there's something in your heart that like microscopes things. It takes things that are smaller than they really are and makes them everything. There's something in our heart that's wired for worship to, to not just sing praises to something, but to build our lives around something. Um, you know, for some of us, it's our image. For others of us, it's our freedom. Like we wanna just be free. For others of us, it is another person in our life that we build our life around and it can just get unhealthy at times. Or maybe it's our status or how other people perceive us. We, we all have this microscoping heart that can look at something that's actually quite small, but make it so big that it's everything. David Foster Wallace says it this way, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. Pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Listen to this. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough and never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. One of the strange things about worshiping something that's not meant to be worshiped, one of the strange things about our heart that, that microscopes small things and tries to build our life around them, making them bigger than they really are, is what that actually does to us. I think that's one of the reasons that Peter starts off in verse one, where he says, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those things aren't just things that we stop doing. They are things that come into our life because we're worshiping the wrong thing. They, they come into our life and we fall into those behaviors because we have made something way too small into something way too big. For instance, like envy. If you envy something or you envy someone, it means they have something that you think you deserve. And all of a sudden, whatever that thing is, it's actually probably not that big of a deal, but you've made it much bigger than it really is. And because of that, you envy them. What about hypocrisy? Rid yourself of all hypocrisy. Well, no one goes, today I'm going to sin by being a hypocrite. That's not how it works. We're hypocrites when we hold on to this image of ourself. We pretend we're someone we're not. We pretend we do something we're not rather than being authentic and real. We hold on to some little thing and project it as if it's everything, and then we fall into hypocrisy. It is interesting that our hearts are always into making small things into big things. And so Paul tells us to rid ourselves of these things, but he, he, he does it by encouraging a reorientation of our hearts. In verse two and three, he points our microscoping hearts to something or someone 
that can actually satisfy what we long for. Like newborn infants, Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word. Desire. Desire the gospel. Desire God's word. So that by it you may grow up into your salvation. And then here it is, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have experienced on any level that Jesus satisfies your hungry heart, point your heart back to Jesus because he is the one who satisfies. He is the one who satisfies. Go back and and, and grow in the good news of salvation and what Jesus Christ has done for you by taking your place on the cross, by paying for your sins, by declaring you righteousness, righteous by filling you with your spirit. If you have any sort of relationship with Jesus, and if you have tasted and seen that he is good and he loves you and he forgives you, then point your heart towards worshiping him. And the amazing thing is that he's actually not something small that we make into something big. A relationship with Jesus is so robust. It is so life-giving. It is such the source of our lives that you can grow through your relationship with him. He's someone worth worshiping. He can actually handle the weight of our worship. But we have to recognize that our hearts have this tendency to microscope things that aren't worthy of our worship. And that's why Peter tells us here, instead of microscoping something that's not worthy of your worship, telescope your heart towards Jesus. A telescope is something that sees something that actually is beautiful and big and grand. And a telescope allows you to enter into the reality of how beautiful and large and grand that thing is. A couple years ago, we had something that was called a great conjunction in the sky. I don't know if you remember this, December of 2020, Uh, Saturn and Jupiter like passed in front of each other. And someone gave me this telescoping lens for my phone. And so I was able to sit out and like look at my phone screen and it was able to zoom in on Saturn and Jupiter as they passed each other. And on my phone from Hollywood, Florida, I was actually able to see the rings on Jupiter. And it was amazing. Like I just sat there in my driveway for like an hour. My kids came out, they looked for like five minutes and they're like, we're going back inside. But I stayed in there, I stayed out there staring at how beautiful and grand this was because I had access to this telescope. I was actually able to see somewhat of how great and grand it really was. That's what Peter's inviting us to. Even though our hearts have this tendency to microscope things that aren't large and make them large, he's saying, telescope your heart towards Jesus. Stare at him in a way that you realize how good he actually is, how grand he is, how beautiful he is. Recognize the actual size and all the beautiful features of Jesus. Worship. Worship Jesus. See, the church is a people that worship Jesus. We're a people who are learning to telescope towards Jesus. The church is a people for the worship of Jesus. Jesus is meant to be the focus of our worship, the focus of what we're telescoping. That's why in verse four, Peter quotes the Old Testament referring to Jesus, and he says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by people, 
but chosen and honored by God. In other words, God has appointed that Jesus would be the center of everything and that all should come and worship his beloved son. Jesus was chosen for worship. And as the church, we are a people that are being built together for the worship of Jesus. Like we're, that's what we do together. We gather together to worship Jesus. If you notice that the language Peter has used in verse five and some of the other parts of this passage, it's all temple language, spiritual house, holy priesthood. That's all language that first and foremost is about worship. In other words, the reason that we are gathered here is for the worship of Jesus Christ. That's why we are called a people. That's why we are called a church. And we worship him by gathering together to joyfully sing on Sundays. That's what Peter says to us in verse nine. He says that we worship through praising. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, so that you may proclaim the what? The praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have been gathered together to sing about the actions, the excellencies, the way that God has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, who has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, who has rescued us from sin, death, and the devil and has made us his beloved children. That is what we are called to do, to proclaim the praises. That's why we sing. That's why singing together is important. I mean, you can drive around in your car and you can listen to Christian radio and you can sing, but there's something different about being here with the saints and joining our voices together and saying, God is worthy, Jesus is beautiful. He is worth an hour and of our half, an hour and a half of our time on Sunday morning to come together and just do nothing else but praise him. One of the challenges to that is, is that we often see ourselves as me rather than we, right? Uh, we talked last week about how we don't want to be a me church, we want to be a we church. And we churches say, I got to get to church to praise my Lord, right? Me church says, it's, it's inconvenient this week, I just can't make it. But as a we church, we, we see that Jesus deserves our praise together. We have been gathered together so that we could worship him. And here's the amazing thing. We don't come together to worship God to get him to do something. We come to worship God because of what he's already done. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who past tense called you out of darkness. The one who has saved us by the blood of his son. We don't come to like get God's attention. We come to praise him because he, we already have his attention. That's worship narrow. That's the words that come out of our mouth to proclaim the excellencies of the one who saved us. But worship is also broad. It's not just about singing. It's about the way we live our lives together. Worship through living. 
In verse 5, Peter says that we are to be these things. We are a holy priesthood so that we could offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, when he says offer spiritual sacrifices, you're meant to think of Romans 12 where it says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. In other words, you worship God by living your life for Jesus. When you serve on the welcome team, that is worship. When you love your neighbor and forgive your enemy, that is worship. When you're patient and kind with your kids, that is worship. When you pay for someone to go out to dinner who can't pay for themselves, that is worship. All of our lives are worship. We are not just meant to sing the praises of the one who has redeemed us, but to live our lives pointing to him. Again, not to be made acceptable, but because we have been made acceptable through Jesus Christ, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is perfect and he has died on our behalf. Because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, we can worship God with everything we do. We can use anything for the worship of God. We are to live our lives worshiping him. And that makes me wonder, um, you know what? He is so worthy of being worshiped. It makes me think, you know, we want to grow as a church, but it's not just about people in the pews. It's about a greater worship of Jesus. Like he's worthy of going deeper in our hearts. He's worthy of me figuring out where I'm not worshiping him with my life and changing and transforming that so that he is worshiped with more parts of my life. But not only that, I want my neighbors to come to know Jesus so that there's a greater worship of Jesus. And so that, that the way that they're living their lives where it's futile, they can't find satisfaction, they actually find satisfaction in Jesus and there are more voices to praise the king of the universe. That's one of the reasons we're doing this whole who's your one thing. Um, you know, as you think about it, I mean, your first tendency is to go like, oh, like, I'm afraid to like think about praying for my friend to come to know Jesus because then I might actually have to say something. Uh, okay, I get all that. But, but what if it was about like, there is this king and he has all authority in the universe and he has all power in his hands and he's the center of everything and he loves you. You start to think differently, right? You're like, he is worthy of everyone worshiping. One of my friends used to say, it's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus. It's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus. He's so kind. He's so powerful. He's so authoritative and yet humble at the same time. It's crazy that everyone everywhere isn't worshiping Jesus. And so we are called as the church to be a people for worship, but then we're also called to be a telescope for other people. We're called to show the greatness and grandness and beauty of who Jesus is so that they can be drawn into worship too. That's really what Peter ends our passage by looking at. It's a greater worship comes from our deeper worship. In verse 11, he says, 
Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against my soul. What Peter is urging the readers to do is to live their life not worshiping the things of this world, but realizing that they were made for a new heavens and new earth. What does it mean to live my life knowing that I'm not going to fit in here? I was made for something more, and that more will come when King Jesus returns. Worship. Living as a stranger in exile. But not only that, he says, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against their soul. You know, we live in a moment where people worship their own hearts. Anything my heart feels must be right. I'm just going to follow my heart. But Peter says here that true worship is actually sometimes, most of the time, not following your heart. Like looking at your heart and going, does this match up with who God is and what Jesus said? Or is this some selfish, sinful desire? And you can hear the pleading in Peter's voice, right? He's like, friends, friends, I urge you. Please, please abstain from these things that come out of your heart that do not match up with who God is. Because when you say no to them, when you say no to following your heart and yes to following Jesus, it is worship. You're microscoping, you're taking your microscoping heart and you're telescoping to Jesus and saying, I will not give in to just what I want. I want to follow who Jesus is. My heart isn't always right. In fact, when I follow my heart, sometimes it can destroy me. It wages war against the soul. But to accept that in our cultural moment, to say, like, don't follow your heart and follow Jesus, that's crazy talk, right? That's crazy talk. Uh, and that's really where we learn to live in the tension of worship as strangers and exiles. As we live in a culture where people are constantly microscoping what comes out of their heart, and we're called to live with this telescope pointing to Jesus and who he is. Peter ends our passage in verse 12, and he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that all of them become Christians. That's actually not what it says. I had to really sit in this because I didn't understand what he was trying to get at. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. That's a way of saying all the people who don't know Jesus. So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Uh, Peter, which is it? Um, do they see the beautiful things that we do in the name of Jesus? Or do they say we're evil because we do things for Jesus that they don't like? And Peter says the tension is real. It's both. It's both. Like we should live our lives in a way that people stop and go, that's beautiful. It's beautiful how those Christians take care of widows and orphans. It's beautiful how Christians run towards broken situations in our city to care for people. It's beautiful how that person told the truth when everyone else around him was lying. That's beautiful. And yet, when the culture looks at us, they will always see things that they deem as evil. The Christian sexual ethic is completely off track from our cultural moment. So when we just talk about abstaining from sex until we're married, everyone's like, oh my gosh, that is evil. That's awful. 
We have to be willing to live in that tension where we live beautifully by living out the life of Jesus here on earth. And yet at the same time, as we follow the truth of Jesus, some will look at us and say, that is wrong, when it isn't. And being willing to live in that tension is where we worship. Because it puts us at odds with the culture and yet invites them into the one that we're worshiping. The tendency of Christians is to be one or the other. The tendency of Christians is just to live beautifully, but not say things that might offend the culture, or to say things that might offend the culture, but not live blessing the culture. And we as Christians are called to worship Jesus by doing both. And that's hard. That's hard. But that is how we point the telescope at who Jesus is. That is how we invite people into the greater worship. Because as we do things that are beautiful and loving and kind and gracious, they will get a taste of who Jesus is. And as we live not according to our hearts, but according to the ethic of Jesus, that is how they will see that we reject sin. We don't reject sinners, but we do reject sin. And that's how people get convicted. And, that, and Peter says that when we live that way, that is the very way that God is committed to draw new people into worship. They will observe your good works and will glorify and will worship God on the day he returns. If we're willing to worship by being in that tension, God is committed to bring new people to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. That's the greater worship. But as we're committed to do in this series, let's reveal the real. Uh, the church isn't always slandered as evildoers. Sometimes the church does evil. That's real. At the same time, let's renew our roots. What are we called to do? We're called to live out being strangers and exiles in this world, abstaining from following our hearts in order to follow Jesus. And living in that tension is how we worship. It's how we point our hearts to Jesus, and it's how we become a telescope that points others to Jesus. That is what we're called to do. That is the roots of what the church is. And so we close out Three questions just to think about for yourself. If someone looked at your life, what would they say you're microscoping? What are you so focused on that you're trying to make it bigger than it really is? You're trying to wrap your heart around it. If, if someone looked at your life, what would they say you're microscoping? Then second, if part is part of your purpose to be a telescope for Jesus in your life and here? Do you recognize that that's what God is calling you to? To worship and to be a part of worship and to bring others into worship? If Is part of your purpose to be a telescope for Jesus? And then lastly, are you willing to live in that tension? The, the tension of following Jesus and doing beautiful things to bless others and yet at the same time, having people say, we reject you because you follow the truth of who Jesus is. Th those are questions that we need to wrestle with, that we need to dig into if we really want to be the church. 
Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.